This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Rick Bass, author of more than 30 books, wildlife and wildlands activist, and resident of the Yak Valley in northwestern Montana. Bass studied geology in Utah State University. He grew up in Houston and started writing short stories on his lunch breaks while working as a petroleum geologist in Jackson, Mississippi. In 1987, he moved with his wife, the artist Elizabeth Hughes Bass, the remote Yak Valley where he works to protect his adopted home from roads and logging. Rick serves on the boards of the Yak Valley Forest Council, Save the Yellowstone Grizzly, and the Montana Project. He continues to give readings, write, and teach around the country and the world. Rick has had in numerous stories anthologized in Best American Short Stories, The Year's Best. His nonfiction has been anthologized in Best American Spiritual Writing and Best American Science Writing and several other anthologies. Several of his books have been named New York Times as well as Los Angeles Times Notable Books of the Year and a New York Times Best Book of the Year. A nonfiction book, Why I Came West, was a finalist for a National Book Critics Circle Award. He's the recipient of a 2011 Artist Innovation Award from the Montana Arts Council and a Governor's Award in the Arts. His stories, articles, and essays have appeared in the Paris Review, the New Yorker, the Atlantic Monthly, Harper's, New York Times, Sunday Magazine, the Washington Post, and numerous other periodicals. So welcome, Rick. It's great to be talking with you. How do you have time to to talk to me when you've got so much writing that you do. Well, uh, <clears throat> to be honest, John, I don't know how I or anybody has time to listen. <laughs> introduction. Uh, I don't know. I'd rather uh, send you a, a shorter version. And, and, uh, I edited it as best I could. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I don't mean to sound ungrateful. Uh, <laughs> man, uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's get to business. So how do you how do you have find time to write, you know, I, or how do you have find find time to do anything else besides? Well, I don't. It, I, you know, I think I'm probably can speak for a lot of us that our relationship uh-huh. with with time has has changed in these last couple or so years. Um, I used to measure things by uh, you know the somewhat arbitrary 24 hour day clock, and uh, that just wasn't working out. Uh, it isn't uh, working out. So, yeah. Uh, you know, like I think like most of us, I carry around a list, and I just chop down what I can chop down each day. Uh-huh. Sometimes yeah. it's just one thing. On a good day, it's two things. So how do you think of yourself? You're a geologist, a naturalist, an activist, a writer. Well, how do you think of yourself? Uh, I, I, uh, this, this, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think of myself, and, and that may sound... Uh, <laughs> Specious, but uh, uh, I, I don't think of myself in in, in a category. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, I just uh, I just do what I can do. Right, right. <laughs> what got you started as a writer, uh, and how do you apportion your time? Well, again, I I uh, 
I, I don't apportion my time, and I think it's uh, uh. maybe a, a, a conceit or an idea that doesn't serve us well to think that we can uh, manage or, or manipulate or, or apportion it. I, right. I try and follow what I'm most uh, excited about. Uh. But yeah, there are priorities, uh, you know, in everybody's life, and they change, really, yeah. hour by hour. Uh, it's, it's, it's a mess. I have no control over the process. What's your favorite subject of the present time? What are you doing right now? Yeah. What I'm doing right now is engaging uh, the, the Kootenai National Forest in, in moral discussions of, of leadership. Oh. Um, but I certainly wouldn't call it my favorite thing to do. Oh. Do you prefer writing fiction or nonfiction, or doesn't it matter whatever moves you? Fiction is fiction is the thing that I love most to do. It's it's the most challenging. Uh, it's the to do it well is really the hardest thing I think I've ever ever attempted. And it uh, it doesn't get easier. Uh, it gets more difficult uh, the more you think you know about it. Uh, it's 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 a it's a very it's very gratifying when you succeed at it, uh, which is very rare. So I'd say that's my preferred favorite. Uh, to spend time on the page. So where you live in the Yak Valley, that's in the northwest corner of Montana. That's pretty far out there, and you wrote a book about bringing up your daughter in the wilderness. Uh, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, that, that book was called The Wild Marsh, uh, and it, it's hard to believe it was uh, written so long ago. It, I wrote it in the, uh, in the year 2000, you know, the turn of the uh, mm. millennium. millennium. Mm. And uh, uh, I wrote it as... as I suppose a record of what life is slash was like up here. Mm -hmm. I used to uh, wish and still do that someone had written such a book, you know, at the turn of the previous century, uh, what what life was like in 1900 up here. And it occurred to me that, you know, if, if our species is still ambling about in, in the year 2100, uh, it, it could be uh, an interesting read for someone to look back and see what life in this landscape, this valley was like uh in that, that distant year of 2000. Uh, you apparently, you teach workshops and you travel about it for a bit uh, out of the Yak Valley. So uh, uh, what have you done lately in that regard? Um, I, I had a really lovely uh, workshop experience in White Sulphur Springs working with uh, Sarah Calhoun, the Red Ants Pants uh, director, and uh, we had students from all around the country come in for really? mm -hmm. three days and, and uh, just kind of an intense uh, boot camp where uh, I do some teaching, but a lot of it I think of as coaching, you know, just reminding writers of, to be situationally aware and uh, do's and don'ts, you know, what what mistakes to not make right. in key moments. Uh, you know, the first time I heard about you, I re well, I read an article or a letter you wrote to High Country News about the uh, grizzly bear population in the and the Pacific Northwest Trail and the uh, across the Yak. Uh, would you uh, tell us about that and update it? Yeah, sure. Um, the Pacific Northwest Trail, uh, well-intentioned idea to direct uh, long distance recreational through hikers you know across public land um, is a uh, a trail that was uh, proposed for 32 years to congress in 
every year Congress and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and U.S. Forest Service um, uh, rejected the idea because the map of the trail went through um, uh, grizzly bear habitat in northwest Montana, the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem, the, the yak subpopulation, the cabinet subpopulation, the Selkirk subpopulation, the North Cascades. It was just a train wreck of an idea for with regard to endangered species. Um, particularly vulnerable is, is the yak. Uh, you know, the, it's the lowest elevation in the state, uh, surprisingly, to be the most northwestern valley in the state. We think of the elevations getting higher the further north we go. But um, we're the low spot where the Yak River goes into the Kootenays, about 1,800 feet. Uh, so you rarely get up above tree line in the Yak, uh, and that's a really important uh, ecotype for grizzlies, particularly female grizzlies with cubs. And because the Yak's alpine meadows are so very small, uh, bears, that females with young, young that use those areas are easily displaced by hikers and to have... Uh, you know, high volumes of hikers going through there, uh, particularly in the summer and fall, which is when the bears most use those little parks and meadows. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a bad idea. There are alternatives to the south that have every bit as uh, stirring a vista as, uh, if not more so, than the uh, kind of the swampy interior forest of the Ack. So we've been, uh, nonetheless, the, the law, fin the, the act finally was uh, legislated it was uh, attached as one paragraph to a must-pass omnibus bill in 2009. Uh, nobody knew about it, but now it's law. So we're trying to um, <clears throat> broker uh, an alternative that serves the needs of uh, hikers in local communities, but also uh, the needs of grizzly bears in the yak, of which we have maybe three or four adult females with cubs. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a Noah's Ark kind of deal uh, right now. So we're we spend a lot of energy on outreach, education, advocacy on uh, something that really shouldn't have ever happened in the first place. So why don't the, the grizzlies in the yak and the grizzlies in Glacier uh, team up together? Why don't they connect? Well, in a word, fragmentation. Uh, we have railroad lines, uh, U.S. highways, mines, clear cuts, logging roads. Uh, an artificial reservoir behind a hydroelectric dam at Lake Kukanusa. Um, there are a, there's quite a gauntlet for bears to go from glacier to the yak, uh, or from the yak to anywhere. It is a stranded, isolated subpopulation. It is all uh, genetic, uh, genetically. Uh, it has genetic integrity. None of the bears that are left in the yak have been placed here artificially. They all got here on their own, but now they're, they're stranded, cut off from all the other subpopulations. They're even cut off from the Cabinet Mountain subpopulation just across the Kootenai River. I mean, they can see, actually see the bears, uh, each other across the river, but they won't cross because of the highway and the railroad and the, uh, the river. So are you lobbying for a, a bridge across the highway to connect the uh, two sides? It's a good question, and I don't mean this disrespectfully. Uh, I think as biologists and uh, as, as a culture, we tend to think of, of questions of biology and, and wildlife ecology in kind of a, a shopping mentality or acquisitive, you know, a short-term fix. Mm -hmm. And it's good that we're thinking how to fix something, but uh, 
You know, the old way is generally the best way, and, and conservation biology reminds us that uh, throughout time, uh, through evolution, natural, natural history, uh, species have evolved to fill and exploit uh, habitat. Uh, mm-hmm. So if we have connective habitat, which, you know, the country that grizzlies need, and we build up the population to, to where it's large enough for the young to obey the ter- territorial imperative and strike out on their own, they'll get there. Uh, the tricky thing with grizzlies, the challenge we face is uh, the females are the ones that carry, you know, the greatest genetic uh, keys and diversity and, and mm-hmm. expansion of, of uh, maternal DNA. And, and a, a mother grizzly needs, uh, needs a lot more secure habitat than a male. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think maybe, uh, you know, what... We just need to take care of the mountaintops uh, in, a, in a, an unbroken chain between mm-hmm. the northwest uh, corner of the Yak and the southernmost tip of the Cadmets, uh, and that's going to take a real commitment. So what's the ideal population for grizzlies in the Yak? Uh, again, a, a real good question, habitat-based. Uh, the, uh, the federal government estimates that uh, 100 bears between the... Uh, the yak and the cabinets would be uh, a stable mm-hmm. uh, 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 we're, we're not anywhere near that number. All right. So what's the Black Ram Project? Uh, uh, where to begin? Mm. It's, uh, it's uh, what we call a zombie sale. It was uh, proposed in the previous administration. Uh, the previous chief executive had, had issued a an executive order directing regional foresters to increase the volume of logging on public lands by 40 percent, just a random number, and to do away with science to avoid environmental impact statements wherever possible and use the much uh, broader and abstract cookie-cutter templates of EAs, environmental analyses. Uh, Thus, Black Ram was born in the year 2017, uh, and uh, uh, the Local Forest Service has steadfastly ignored our group, the Yak Valley Forest Council's mm. recommendations to manage the area for its wild qualities. Uh, we certainly have not said uh, don't log anywhere, but we've had some really, I think, important and uh, advice about where, in, including uh, counseling the agency to work in the wildland urban interface around mm. communities. Uh, Black Ram is. Uh, presented to the public as a fuels reduction project that will create, quote, resilience, when in actuality, you know, far from the public's eye, it's between 12 and 20 miles north of even the community of Yak, you know, population 133. It's also uh, downwind. The, the fires up here, of course, run south to north. It's, on, it's literally on the Canadian border. It is... Uh, it's in old forest, old growth. Uh, it proposes to build logging roads through old growth. Uh, it proposes to clear-cut uh, designated core grizzly habitat. It uses faulty science in, in the uh, assessment of these phantom gates that the Forest Service says are, have been built and protect grizzly habitat, and, and the, the gates are either not there or are broken. Uh, it says... Um, uh, well, it's not a word I use lightly. It's, it's, a, it's a really corrupt uh, mm-hmm. uh, operation. And so we've been working since 2017 to uh, 
to stop it. We worked for you know the five years of the public process to amend it, and it uh, the, the final uh, proposal that came out did not have any of our amendments in it. And so uh, you know that's that's put us in the spot we're in now of, of uh, trying desperately to stop this uh, this. Uh, Proposal. I think the most amazing thing about the Black Ram project is the ancient forest that is proposed. Uh, what what the Forest Service calls regeneration harvest, which is uh, is a clear cut, leaving just one or two trees per acre. Uh, there are 800 year old larch in this uh, in this forest that has never this forest has never burned. Uh, mm-hmm. The one that they're trying to clear cut slash regen. Uh, it's it's never had roads built into it. It's never been logged. It's what's called a primary forest. And when you go in there, it's, it's just like no other place on earth. The, uh, the overstory, of course, the midstory, the understory. But uh, what's most fascinating is to walk across, uh, you know, this what they call a wet alpine vegetative response unit, a VRU. It, it's, a, it's a high elevation swamp is what it is. Mm-hmm. And the carcasses of all the giants that have lived and fallen before, these immense trees leaning down slowly through the canopy, you know, bringing in a slash of light wherever they land that, of course, recycles, regenerates new seral stages in succession. It, it's, it is incredibly, it is the definition of sustainability and resilience uh, uh, and the fact that it has repelled all wildfire uh, for at least a thousand years. Is, is unprecedented, as, as you know, as our listeners know, in this this part of the world, and it should be studied. So we're proposing it for a climate refuge, as opposed to a, a, a Kootenai National, just another Kootenai National Forest clear cut. Um, over 700 acres, uh, contiguous acres, would be regen harvested clear cut. There, uh, it's it's winner winner. You know, win or lose, uh, win or go home. Um, it's. It's it's an incredibly uh, corrupt proposal, and one that, frankly, I'm uh, puzzled that the Biden administration has not just canceled it. It's uh, mm-hmm. as as we know, these these ancient mature forests absorb on the public lands absorb 12 percent of of our nation's carbon dioxide emissions. I mean, that we we put out a lot of CO2. It's forests like Black Ram that carry the load, absorbing 12 percent of it. Uh, it's uh a good good issue to contact our delegation about and uh, and to get in, involved with yakvalley.org uh, Y-A-K uh, I think a, a large, re- large reason this project is, is moving forward is it's just so far from the public eye uh, yeah. hmm. so you've been arrested uh, because of several protests you've been involved in Otter Creek and Keystone XL uh, you wrote uh, heart, of, heart of the Monster about mega loads being trekked trek through Montana. Uh, what uh, uh, you said that the arrest process is empowering. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think first and foremost it means I'm a white middle-aged male, so I, I get to uh, do that with impunity. You know, put put myself in a position where I'll be. Uh-huh. Handcuffed. Uh, I would certainly be less cavalier about it were I uh, uh, in a different demographic. Uh, but it's, I think it's important for, uh, because of that safety or, or, or perceived safety, to, to use the system. Uh, what's empowering about it is, um, is, is it's another form of voice. 
you know, when you write letters, when you write articles, when you speak in public meetings and you're still not being heard, what do you do? Uh, you know, we will be heard, you know, not being heard on, on issues so mm -hmm. dear to Montanans is, is, not an, is not an option. So it's just another, uh, another element of the uh, conversation. But, but when I say empowering, I mean, you know, it, it, gives, it gives another avenue for voice. Uh, so we, we must get people's attention somehow, some way. Um, this forest is just, uh, it's just, uh, there's no other way to talk about it than, than, than spiritually. It, it's like, uh, I mean, the story of the, you know, the first garden is, 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 is very much in, in your mind when you walk in such a place and you see uh, the incredible diversity that's in there. It's, uh, the Kootenai National Forest has 25% of Montana's species of concern. Mm -hmm. I mean, a quarter of the state's entire endangered, threatened, and sensitive species list is on this one forest, and wow. we're planning a 750, 775, 900, whatever acre clear cut on the Canadian border. You want to wake up from the bad dream, you know? Mm -hmm. That's not Montana, and, and, and we won't stand for it. You say that uh, global warming is the moral issue for our time. Uh, would you expound on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, if I think in every direction, it's it's an opportunity for us to be our better selves or 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 lesser selves, and and that that those are moral decisions that we get to make every day. Uh, it's hopefully becoming more apparent and understood that. Uh, even though climate change and global warming affects every living organism and population on on Earth, it, among our own species, it's the, uh, the disenfranchised and, and underserved, as they say, that, who suffer disproportionately, who, who do not have the uh, the ability to uh, to seek refuge, uh, and uh, particularly the coastline inhabitants, which number one billion. Uh, it's uh, you know that this little sip of a sip of a pandemic uh, the last couple of years is giving us a, a you know a, a kindergartner's lesson in in, in the global uh, community and uh, there's unfortunately more in the kitchen. So, right. On your website, you indicate that uh, as an oil and gas geologist, you know things that the public should know about. Uh, what did you mean by that? Uh, just quite simply. Uh, when you have big big oil companies uh you know saying something's good when it's not uh you know when uh, a, a mormon friend who uh uh doesn't like cursing and 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 uh <laughs> you know like and i've said to her you know what's 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 wrong with just a little bad word now and again when the situation really warrants it and mm -hmm. she looked at me and said Okay, uh, suppose I'm making some uh, cookies, and I have just a little bit of poo on my hand, and just a little bit of poo gets in the cookie dough. Is that is it okay? And, uh, so I, I admire and laugh at that uh, <laughs> uncompromising integrity. But uh, to mix metaphors, there's a, there's a lot of poo in, in what the, uh, the big oil and gas companies have been saying and yeah. are saying, and they're they're pouring money, you know, into into. Uh, Legislators, and it's a it's a big it's a big fight. 350.org is, is such an incredible organization. I'm 
I followed them uh, devoutly and, and mm-hmm. doing uh, doing incredible work, uh, both at the state and local and, and national, international level. Uh, when you protested the uh, Keystone XL pipeline, uh, where where were you arrested? Uh, Keystone was in in DC. Uh, I think oh. I, uh, there was one in Helena and one in Missoula. And, mm-hmm. uh, Otter Creek was Helena, I think. I guess Keystone was maybe Missoula and DC. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on a lighter topic. Uh, You've had a number of dogs in your life. Uh, uh, what do you What do you look for when you uh, go to get a dog? What's your favorite breed? I, it, you know, it, it's an abstraction, but uh, you know, heart. Uh, you know, you, it's. Uh, I think that's the word is heart. I, I like a bit of spunk, a bit of mischief in a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, intelligence can be overrated. Uh, any dog is going to be smarter than any person. So you know, it's all relative. What? Do, why do you need a, a dog that's an eleven when when one that's two or three is still going to be right. your superior? Um, yeah, I like mischief, uh, heart, spunk. Mm. Uh, what about you? I've had some black labs that I've I dearly loved while I lived in Bozeman. And, uh, well, that would be the 11. Uh, they are darn smart. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Very fixed. So uh, tell me about Stella Rondo. What's that? Oh, it's a sweet project where uh, I get to hang out with these musicians in, in Missoula, a band uh, named Stella Rondo uh, after a, a character in Eudora Welty's short story, Why I Live at the P.O., and uh, oh, they're just amazing musicians, songwriters, and, and instrumentalists. And uh, they came to me with an idea about uh, scoring music for, for some of my stories, where I would oh, read the stories, and they would, you know, over several rehearsals and practices, you know, months and months of them, compose uh, these musical scores to go with the reading. You know, it's not improv stuff, on, you know, in, in the moment, but uh, you really... Uh, artistically composed and crafted uh, compositions, and I've just loved it. It's been a really uh, great, it's been, I think it's been the most stimulating thing I've done artistically ever, is just hanging out with them, hearing, hearing how they think about stories and, and sound. Is there a way to access them on online? Gosh, I'm sure there is. Uh, oh, we, did, okay. we did an album once upon a time. I, I don't know if it's on their website. I think it probably is. It's uh, okay. yeah, it's one word, Stella Rondo, uh, like it sounds. Uh-huh. Okay. So are you currently uh, engaged in any writer's workshops? Yeah, um, I'm putting one together in May, possibly back up in White Sulphur. Uh, I'm going to put stuff up on my rarely visited website and uh and i'm going to be doing one for the uh, norman mclean uh literary festival this summer in sealy uh, oh really mm-hmm. so yeah i've got a couple of them upcoming oh that's neat well uh rick i think we've exhausted our time so uh it's been great talking with you i uh, wish you well and i look forward to your your future writings uh, you bet thanks so much sean take care all right thank you very much all right adios this has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to jswilderness.com 
at js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.